Simon first, to whom he gave the name Peter. Lord, this morning, we've come here to be encouraged by your word, challenged by your word. Indeed, I pray that our hearts would even be ready to be chastened and rebuked. But we've come to hear from you. Jesus, you alone have the words of life. So I would pray that you would cause me to increase. The Father, you might... Uh, I'm sorry. Lord, that I would decrease. How wicked is the flesh. <laughs> that, Lord, you would increase in this place. We want to hear from you, not from me. We want to know what you have to say to our individual hearts and our church today. So you teach us now by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Simon was often called the disciple with the foot-shaped mouth, and Britt is often called the preacher with a foot-shaped mouth. I love talking about Simon Peter because I have much in common with him. He so often did the wrong thing at the wrong time and said the wrong thing at the wrong moment, and so I can relate But he was also used mightily of the Lord. And we're told there in verse 16 that his name was Simon, but that Jesus named him Peter. Now, anytime we see in the Gospels or in the book of Acts a list of the 12 disciples or apostles, Peter is always the first on the list. He was, without a doubt, the spokesman and overall leader of the disciples and apostles of Christ Jesus. It's made explicit in Matthew chapter 10, verse 2, where it reads like this. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and then it lists the rest. But it says, first, Simon, who was called Peter. That word, first, in the Greek is the word protos. And it doesn't mean just first in order. It doesn't mean just chronologically or first on a list. But it refers to him being the chief or the leader of the group. And we see through the Gospels that Peter is assuming and given this role all the way through the book of Acts, the 12th chapter, where now the Apostle Paul begins to take some prominence in the story of the early church. Peter was normally in any situation the first to speak up and the first to do something about something. He was always in the foreground taking the lead. Peter just had the kind of personality where he just kind of jumped out and did things. Sometimes after Pentecost, namely, it served him well. Other times it didn't serve him so well. Sometimes it worked out wonderfully. Other times it was a little sketchy. We can remember when Jesus uh, was there on the mount and he was transfigured and who appeared with him? Elijah and Moses. And who did Jesus take up on the mount with him? Peter, James, and John, the inner circle of disciples. And so there's Jesus, glorified and transfigured. And there's Moses and Elijah. And if you're a Jew, like Peter was a Jew, you're flipping out. There's no bigger dude in all of your history than Mo. Mo is the absolute man when it came to Jewish history. And there's Moses. Did you see how Moses made a little sneaky sneaky into the promised land? Remember God didn't let him come into the promised land because of his sin and killed him up on Mount Pisgah? But now as though he wasn't able to be let into the promised land, all of a sudden he's transfigured right there in the promised land. God has grace. He let him in in the end. And there's Elijah. And Peter sees this and says, Oh, Jesus, this is cool. This is something else. I'm going to build little houses. I'm going to build a little house for you, Jesus, and a little one for Mo, and a little one for Eli. That seems pretty cool. Right on, Peter. Take the initiative. And a voice comes from heaven that says, 
This is my son. Listen to him. And so Peter, slightly rebuked from the father there, forget about Mo, forget about Eli. It's all about Jesus at this point. You'll remember that Peter was the one always taking the lead, always taking the initiative. When Jesus was walking on the water, all the disciples just kind of sat in the boat dumbfounded. But Peter said, well, Lord, if it's you, how about if I come and walk on the water? Nobody had the gall to say that but Peter. And the Lord says, well, okay, come on, walk on the water. And then we always criticize, or at least I do, Peter in sermons because he started to walk on the water and then he got all distracted and he got his eyes on the circumstances and when he saw that the waves were great and the wind was gnarly and it was kind of scary and dark on the water, he began to sink, you remember. And so we criticize him for those things. But remember, he walked on water. Peter jumped out of the boat sometimes too soon, sometimes said things things too soon, but because of his boldness, and I would even say sometimes his brashness, he had an amazing experience with Jesus Christ. He wasn't afraid to step out in faith. Sometimes it didn't work out too well. Remember the night that Jesus was going to be arrested? And there was Malchus, one of the high priest's servants, and Peter took out his sword and took a swing at his head. And Peter, not really being a swordman, being more of a fisherman, sort of missed trying to lop off his head and just got his ear and cut off the guy's ear. What did the Lord do? The Lord stoops down, picks up the ear, and glues it back on the guy's head. And says, come on, Pete. I could call 86,000 angels right now, man. Why are you doing that? Peter. Always stepping out, always tripping out, always saying and doing something funny. But always taking the lead. And God wanted to redeem that natural condition or that natural attribute or that natural characteristic about him and use it for his glory. You see, if you've got personality quirks, God knows that. God formed you in your mother's womb. If there's something unique and weird or something that just kind of grinds people the other way, God is wanting to redeem it. To refine it, yes. To chasten it, yes. But to redeem it, all of who you are. I'm not talking about the real bad stuff. God wants to purge that out. But some Peter type stuff, God can use. It's interesting that Peter's name is mentioned in the Gospels more than any other name besides Jesus Christ. John MacArthur wrote an amazing book called Twelve Ordinary Men, and he writes this quote in it about Peter. He says, No one speaks as often as Peter, and no one is spoken to by the Lord as often as Peter. No disciple is so frequently rebuked by the Lord as Peter, and no disciple ever rebukes the Lord except Peter. (laughs) No one else confessed Christ more boldly or acknowledged his lordship more explicitly, yet no other disciple ever verbally denied Christ as forcefully or as publicly as Peter did. No one is praised and blessed by Christ the way Peter was, yet Peter was also the only one Christ ever addressed as Satan. (laughs) The Lord had harsher things to say to Peter than he ever said to any of the others. All of that contributed to make him the leader Christ wanted him to be. God took a common man with an ambivalent, vacillating, impulsive, unsubmissive personality and shaped him into a rock-like leader, the greatest preacher among the apostles in every sense, the dominant figure in the first 12 chapters of Acts where the church was born. Amazing. Peter had the most amazing life, but beyond the amazingness of his life is the amazing fact that God took a common, ordinary man. What a joy that is. 
What a wonder it is that God works that way. You'll notice when Jesus came and he chose his disciples and his apostles, he didn't choose a single Pharisee. He didn't choose a single Sadducee. He didn't choose a single zealot. He didn't choose a single religious leader. He didn't choose any of the priests. He didn't choose any of the Levites. He chose ordinary, regular men. And that displays two things. Number one, his judgment upon the religious system at the time. But more importantly and more largely, his heart. That God desires to take the ordinary and make them extraordinary. That God wants to do uncommon things through common men. He took four fishermen, one tax collector, one political uh, activist, a skeptic, a betrayer, and four other nobodies. And turned the world upside down. Or right side up, however you look at it. Makes us think, don't we? Sometimes I look around at this church and I see me and I see you and I say, oh boy, we're in trouble. I look around at the leadership. We have staff meetings Tuesday morning. You ought to come to one of those sometimes. And I look around at the staff and I say, Lord, this can't be it. Please. I can't be the pastor. This can't be the staff. Lord, we're going to mess it up. And yet the Lord is glorified. The Lord is glorified through people like Peter and people like you and people like me. 1 Corinthians, Paul says, God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. We hear it, but we don't always believe it. God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God has chosen the foolish that no flesh can boast, that no one can glory. And so if you're here this morning and you're just a normal working class kind of average person, you should get excited. You're just the kind of person that God wants to use. If you're here this morning and you have personality quirks, even flaws, you should get excited. You're just the kind of person that God wants to redeem, refine, and use. If you are here this morning and you have been a failure in numerous ways, if you have had in your life severe moral failure, you should get excited because God has allowed room for repentance and you are just the kind of person that He wants to use. If you are foolish by the world's standards, then you are in an elite club. The foolish things of the world that confound the wise used in the hand of the Almighty God. You see, when God used fools like Peter... God gets all the glory, grace is emphasized, and the empowering of the Holy Spirit is made clear. Let me say it again. When God uses people like Peter and people like you and I, God gets all the glory, grace is emphasized, and the empowering of the Holy Spirit is made clear. So let's look at a couple little moments from Peter's life and we'll see grace emphasized. We'll see God getting the glory. We'll see the empowering of the Holy Spirit as Peter bumbles, stumbles, steps up, steps out, falls and fails and gets up again. And as we look at these, we will be reminded of that wonderful scripture that we saw last week. Do you remember it? Psalm 103 verses 13 and 14. It read like this. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows what we are made of. He is mindful that we are but dust. Don't you love that? 
Just as a father has compassion upon his children, the father knows that the kid's kind of silly, you know what I mean, he's only three years old, so God has compassion on us. He knows we're kind of silly. We're only three-year-old, so to speak. And he knows what we are made of, that we are but dirt. So don't think God expects too much from you. He just expects you to repent, yield, and follow. It's not too much. Turn now to verse 16 of Mark chapter 1. Mark 1 verse 16. This is Jesus' second encounter with Peter. We studied it several weeks ago, but we'll look at it again. It says in Mark 1.16, And as Jesus was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And they immediately left the nets and followed him. All right, good going, Peter. Way to be. Peter threw down the nets, he left the family fishing business, and he followed after Christ Jesus. Good thing to do. But then we get to Luke chapter 5, and we're told in Luke chapter 5 that Peter was once again fishing. And you'll remember that the Lord is in Peter's boat, and he's teaching there from his boat. And then he says to Peter, hey Pete, let out into deep water and let down your nets for the catch. And you'll remember from Luke chapter 5 that Peter goes, ah, gee whiz, Lord. That's a slight paraphrase. Listen, Lord, we've been out fishing all night long and we haven't caught anything. And now it's daylight. Don't you know that it gets hot in Israel? It gets really... I was in Israel a couple summers ago. And uh, we were in the south of Israel and our bus broke down on a day when it was 140 degrees in July. It gets hot in Israel. By the way, we are planning to, uh, Lord willing, go as a congregation to Israel in the month of August. So start saving your money and start planning your vacation time for somewhere around August 15th. But anyway, I was in Israel. No, Peter was in Israel. And Peter's saying to the Lord, Lord, come on, it's daylight now. It gets hot in Israel. We do all our fishing at night. Do you think I'm up at night for my own pleasure? I'm out fishing all night long because at night the temperature cools down. And the fish come to the surface, and there we can reach them with our nets. During the day when it's hot, all the fish in the Sea of Galilee go down deep to escape the heat, and we can't reach them with our first century nets. And so, Lord, I've been out all night. I haven't caught a darn thing, and now you're telling me, let down into deep water and let down your net. I'm just not so sure about this, Lord. So Peter said, slight paraphrase. But then he said, nevertheless, at your word, we'll let down the nets. Oh, he had a quick change of mind. A quick repentance. Okay, Lord, because you say so, I'll do it. You let down the nets, what happened? The nets were full and he tried to pull them in and the nets began to break and he had to call all his friends and the boats almost sank with all the fish that they brought in. And at that point, Peter said, Lord, depart from me for I'm a sinful and wicked man. And Jesus said, okay, now this is good. Now, Peter, for the second time, you follow me. And it says there that Peter left everything and followed him. Jesus promised this time not just to make him a fisher of men, but a catcher of men. Oh, Pete, good job, man. You messed it up the first time. You went back to fishing. You didn't follow through on your commitment. But now the Lord has called you again. Oh, Pete, you're going to be steadfast all the way through. And then we get to John chapter 21. And it's after the resurrection and everything and we find Peter saying once again, oh man, I can't wait, away for, wait around for this whole Jesus thing. I'm going fishing again. 
And he takes the other disciples with him. And once again, they've gone back to fishing. Twice now, they've left everything. They've given up the old life. They've left it behind to follow Christ Jesus. And now a third time, he's fishing again. And what happens? The Lord shows up once again. And the Lord stands on the shore and says, Hey, boys, have you caught any fish? I can imagine the Lord laughing with the angels. They ain't caught no fish. These guys never catch fish. Hey, guys, have you caught any fish? They didn't recognize it as Jesus, and they're standing out there in the boats going, oh, man, who's this guy asking if we have any fish? No, we haven't got any fish. And then what does Peter do? Peter realizes that it's the Lord, and he jumps into the water. Impetuous Peter jumps into the water and swims to shore, and there's Jesus cooking fish. Peter, let me do the fishing for the fish. I've called you to fish for men. Peter, if you love me, tend my lambs. If you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, Peter, now, for the final time, please follow me. You see, Peter vacillated. Peter went back and forth. Peter experienced a struggle, the pull between walking with Jesus and living in this world. Between his spirituality and his carnality. Peter was just like the man described in James chapter 1 who was like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind, double-minded and unstable in all his ways. He was the first of the disciples to confess that Jesus was the Messiah. But as we read, he was the first one to deny ever knowing him. Peter was a trip. He was like you and me. He failed and he succeeded and he would fail over and over again. Now, what I think is wonderful is that the Lord knew this about Peter before he ever called him, before he ever chose him. He knew what kind of man Peter was. Indeed, he formed Peter in his mother's womb. He knew uh, the ins and outs of Peter and he chose him anyway. Isn't that wonderful news? That God knew just how cheesy I would be, just how cheesy you are, and he chose us anyway to be in him, to be his representatives, to be his ambassadors, to be his ministers. But the Lord did a wonderful thing with Peter in his first encounter. I want you to see it as you turn now to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Jesus' first encounter with Peter here. It says in verse 40 of John 1, one of the two who had heard John speak, speaking of John the Baptist, and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah. Verse 42. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John, but you shall be called Cephas, which translated means Peter, which translated again means a stone or rock. God, the first time that he sees Peter face to face here, the first time Peter sees God in the flesh face to face, changes his name from Simon to Rock. I'm always reminded of Mick in the Rocky movies. Anybody love the Rocky movies? I love the Rocky movies. Once a year I try to watch all of them except for number five. Number five, please excuse them for that. But number one and number two and number three and number four were wonderful. They were best before Mick died. Remember Mick? Anybody with me here? Anybody watch Rocky? Okay, you remember Mick, the old guy. He was Rocky's trainer. Get a rock! 
And he used to call him Rock all the time. Get him, Rock. You can do it, Rock. Jesus comes to Peter and says, Ah, your name is Simon, but you shall be called Rock. And I imagine that all Simon's friends went, What? You're going to call Simon Rock? You're going to call him Rock? He's the cheesiest, flakiest guy we've got in all of Capernaum. He'll never follow through with anything. Watch, call him later on. He'll go back to fishing. Call him again. He'll go back to fishing again. You're going to call Peter Rock? And I imagine that, or Simon Rock, I imagine that Simon in his heart went, oh man, I'm not so much of a rock. But I'd like to be. What would you like to be in the Lord in 2004? How would you like for God to transform your character this year? God knows exactly who he wants you to be. And God is faithful to complete the work that he has begun in you until the day of Christ Jesus. And so his first words to Simon, he started building him up, ironically calling him rock. And what he was saying to him was, Simon, I know who you are, but this is who I intend you to be. I know that you're flaky and vacillating and impetuous and that you're the first one to jump in and the first one to get out of it. But I am going to make you over the next year and a half rock. The rock. Because in himself, he was anything but the rock but he needed to become the rock for what Jesus would have him do in the church. And so Jesus gave him that funny name at the very beginning. Now, sometimes in the Bible, Jesus would go back to calling him Simon. He named him Peter, but all of a sudden you'll see the Lord interacting with him and he'll call him Simon once again. And whenever the Lord addresses Peter as Simon, he is reminding him that he is acting like his old self that he's vacillating again, that he's faltering again, that he's kind of flaking out again. Simon, Simon, he would say to him. But whenever Peter is doing what he ought to be doing, walking steadfast with the Lord, being right before him in action and in deed and in word, the Lord calls him Peter. Sometimes we see the gospel writers say Simon in merely secular moments. Like they'll be talking about Simon, Simon's mother-in-law's house. And so they just say Simon there. It's got nothing to do with his spiritual condition or his character. Sometimes they'll just say Simon did thus and so as they're just recording secular facts. Talking about his house or his boat or that he was partners with James and John. That doesn't have to do with his spirituality or with his character at the moment. But there are those certain moments like Luke chapter 5 where Peter is blowing it and Jesus calls his Simon. Go to Luke chapter 5. We talked about it already, but I want you to read it for yourself. Luke chapter 5. Verse 4, and when he had finished speaking, that is Jesus, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered him and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. Now look in verse 8 as we see a transformation begin to take place. But when Simon Peter saw that, that is a great catch, 
he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He was called Simon when he was disagreeing with the Lord, second-guessing the Lord. And then when he begins to recognize his sinfulness, Luke calls him Simon Peter. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus is directly addressing him before the denial, and he says to him, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Simon, Simon, you're susceptible to the temptation of the enemy right now. Simon, Simon, keep your flesh in check. Simon, 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 don't falter here. Remember all that I've taught you, all the precepts. Simon, Simon, come on, be Peter. And we know that Simon responds and says, Oh, Lord, everyone else may leave you and forsake you, but not me. I'm willing to go both to prison and to death with you. And we'll know that shortly after that, Simon denied the Lord three times. Just before that, the Lord had called him Simon another time. They were in the Garden of Gethsemane just before Jesus was arrested. And Jesus went a little further than the disciples to pray. And he said to Simon, Simon, stay here and pray. And he went away and he came back. And what is Simon doing? Sleeping. And the Lord says, Simon, are you sleeping? Can't you stay watch for one hour? Simon, Pray lest ye enter into temptation. And it says that three times the Lord came back and found Simon sleeping. Look at this guy. He second guesses the Lord. He denies the Lord. He sleeps when the Lord told him to pray. Gee whiz, sometimes he's Peter, sometimes he's Simon. John, his very close friend in the Gospel of John, 15 times refers to him as Simon Peter. And Peter, in his second epistle, calls himself Simon Peter. I guess that those that were close to him just were not able to always discern, was he Simon or was he Peter? He called himself Simon Peter. I am Simon the Rock. John, who knew him so well, said, well, he's sometimes Simon, he's sometimes the Rock. He had the same struggle that you and I have. We sometimes act just like that redeemed child of God that we ought to be. Other times we are just like little demonic monsters in our own hearts and in our own thought lives. God knows this. He is mindful of what we are made of, that we are but dirt. Peter was both spiritual and carnal. The last time Jesus ever calls him Simon is when he restores him in John chapter 21. He says, Simon, you love me? Feed my sheep. Simon, you love me? Tend my lambs. Simon, you love me? Feed my sheep. After that day, the Lord would never call him Simon again. And there would come in his life a radical transformation. But I want you to see one other name that Peter was called in Matthew chapter 16. Go to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, starting verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, which, by the way, I can't resist at this moment, is a beautiful place in the north of Israel, in the Galilee area, up towards the area known as Dan. 
And this was, during the time of Jesus, a spiritual hotbed. And there's, these, uh, there's an amazing headwaters there. This beautiful creek kind of flows out there. And then there's this giant hole in this huge platform of rock. There's a platform area of rock about as big as this sanctuary that you can stand on. And there's this giant hole. And the pagans then thought that it was the gates of hell. And they would sacrifice children there. They would do sexual deeds to their pagan gods. All at this place, what they believed were the gates of hell. And they would try to uh, make sacrifices to appease the false gods so that they would have good crops, so on and so forth. Jesus took his disciples to the spiritual hotbed where there was also a cliff that would have looked something like this and carved into into the side of the cliff were all these images of false gods, all these idols. And it was there in Caesarea Philippi in this amazing place where Jesus stood this day with his disciples. Now look what happens next in that context. He began asking his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? I know who all these false gods are. We're standing here where all this worship of these pagan deities takes place. We can look up and see all of them and what all the Romans and the Greeks and the apostate Jews are running after. We see these, but who are the people saying I am? Verse 14, and they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you, to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not overpower it. As he stood right there at what those ancient people thought were the gates of hell. And then he says in verse 19, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Big deal right here. Big moment for Simon Peter. Hooray, hurrah. He's got the right answer. And Jesus says, that's great, Simon Barjona. That's not flesh and blood. That's God speaking directly to you, giving you revelation. And by the way, don't forget, your name is Peter. And upon this rock, the confession of my deity, I will be build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it and i am giving you peter the keys to the kingdom peter you are the man you're going to be a great leader in my church and i imagine peter at this point is looking around at james and john (laughs) check it out now boys who's got the keys who's the greatest now and then it says then he warned his disciples verse 20 that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests but on man's. Ouch. One moment, Peter is speaking directly from the Father. The next, he's speaking directly from the pit of hell. Can anybody relate? Is anybody like Peter? I can stand before you, this congregation that I love, and share the word of God and speak wonderful things with my mouth that God gives me. And I could go home and be rude to my wife or disrespectful to someone, or say the meanest, most horrible thing. 
I can relate to Peter. I can relate to what it's like to be used by God and to be used by the enemy. And I would say in 2004, I want to be used by God more. And the answer is given to us in verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For what will a man be profited if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Peter blew it because he had his mind on man's interests rather than God's. God's way to glory was the cross. When Satan tempted Jesus, he tempted by offering him all the kingdoms of the world, but with skipping the cross. He said, I'll just give them to you right now. Jesus knew that the only way to possession of the kingdom and to glory and to be seated at the right hand of the Father was through his death upon the cross. And so for you and I, the only way to be used of God, to be leaders in his kingdom, is to humble ourselves, make ourselves the slave of all, to pick up our cross daily and deny ourselves. To say, not my will be done, Lord, but your will be done. And it's not I who am important, it is those who are around me. The only time the Bible uses the word self and esteem anywhere near each other is in Philippians, where it says that we ought to esteem others as more important than ourselves. Peter, being a man, had to learn these lessons. And Peter, being a man, had huge moral failure. In Luke 22, Jesus warned him, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Ah, Lord, everyone else will leave you. But I'm ready to go to death and to prison with you. And just a few hours later, he denied the Lord three times. Not only did he deny the Lord, but we're told in the Gospel of Matthew that he began to curse and swear. It doesn't mean that he used foul language. It means that he said this, May God kill me and damn me if I am lying. I don't know Jesus Christ. The greatest moral failure Peter ever could have imagined. One moment saying, Lord, I'm with you. And the next saying, May God kill and damn me if I'm lying. I don't know him. Listen, there is no one in this room who has failed morally greater than Peter did. And God restored Peter. And God forgave Peter. And God loves Peter. And God used Peter. Yes, he had an amazing moral failure. Yes, he had personality quirks. Yes, he blew it and put his foot in his mouth and did wrong things. And he sunk lower than any other of the disciples. But God would exalt him above the rest as a leader in the church and use him radically. Peter had to pull himself up after that and face the other disciples. Sure, they all would have heard what happened. Peter denied the Lord. And there he had to travel with them from Jerusalem all the way up to the Galilee, a 60-mile journey that we'll take this summer by bus. He had to walk all the way up there with them. All the time, I can imagine James and John saying, I can't believe you denied him. Can you imagine how Peter felt? And Thomas saying, ah, Peter, I doubt you ever loved him in the first place. And all these things going on. And yet Peter had to face his fellow Christians. And then he had to face Jesus Christ. 
And when he faced Jesus, he was forgiven and restored and he was empowered and he was embraced by his brothers and sisters in Christ. And God used him radically. He redeemed it all. I want you to see the fullness of the redemption as you turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Peter, who had a tendency to second guess and even deny the Lord, after the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon him, had a radical transformation. Look at him now at the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. I'll give you context here. The Holy Spirit has come upon the church. They're speaking in tongues and they're speaking of the mighty deeds of God, and everybody is looking with amazement, saying, what does this mean? And in verse 13 of Acts chapter 2, but others were mocking and saying they're full of sweet wine. And here comes Peter in his natural tendency now redeemed by God. His natural tendency and character is I'm going to step out first and do something about this. But now he does it with a heart that is yielded to God, a heart that is submissive to God. Now he does it as a true disciple empowered by the Spirit of God. And there's no more foot in the mouth, there's no more blunder, there's no more sin, but there is radical ministry. Verse 14 of Acts 2, but Peter taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all you whom live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. Look at Peter. Peter, the first one to deny the Lord, is now the first one to stand up for the Lord. And look at the end of his little sermon in verse 36. He gives a wonderful sermon there. And then it concludes in verse 36, Peter saying, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter with the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, You repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Look at the redemption of the Lord. Look at Peter going from denying the Lord with his tongue to testifying of the Lord with his tongue. Have you failed? You're just the person that God wants to use. Have you said horrible things with your mouth? You've got just the mouth that God wants to redeem and use for his glory. I stand here today as a testimony along with Peter to the truth of that. Many of you know me. You've known me for years. You've known me for years. You know that's true. It's not I who speak. It's not I who minister. But it's Christ in me. It wasn't Peter. It was Peter redeemed. It was Peter the rock. It was Peter in Christ. Look in Acts chapter 3 as we see it again. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple, first verse, at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a certain man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. And Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze upon him and said, Look at us. And he began to give him 
them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Christ Jesus, the Nazarene walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. And with a leap he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. The one whose faith faltered so that he no longer had faith to walk on the water, now had enough faith to grab a lame man by the hand and pull him up to his feet. And by the power of Christ Jesus, see him healed. There was a transformation in the life of Peter. He was a vacillator. He put his foot in his mouth. He said in did the wrong things. He was flaky, but he was radically and powerfully used by God and he no longer cared what men thought. Look in Acts chapter 4. News has gotten out about the healing. The religious leaders are in an uproar and they say in verse 17, but in order that it may not spread any further among the people, let us warn them, that is the disciples, to speak no more to any man in this name, that is the name of Jesus. And when the religious leaders had summoned them, they commanded the disciples not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you Rather than to God, you be the judge. But we cannot stop speaking of what we have seen and what we have heard. Now he stands before the authority of Israel and he says, I am not going to deny Jesus Christ a fourth time. A little girl called me out in the dark one night and I said, I don't know the Lord. And another man said, you were with him. And I said, I don't know him. And some woman said you were with him. And I said, I don't know him. But now I'm going to stand up before all the powers of Israel and I'm going to say, I will not stop speaking about Jesus Christ. Peter was a true disciple. He was with Jesus. He preached for Jesus. And he had the authority of Jesus. 2004 is a year that we become disciples. That we do not forsake our time with the Lord. That in every opportunity we confess the Lord and that with the authority given us, we stand firm like a rock against the evil in our community. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for the example of your servant, Peter. We ask that you would do the same in us that you would teach us as you taught him, that when we make mistakes, you would be as gentle with us as you were with him, that when we really blow it, you would let us know it like you did with him. And we would confess as he discovered that we need the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives. And so, Lord, we would ask corporately that you would cause your Holy Spirit to come upon us that we might receive power to be your witnesses where you have placed us. Thank you for all the failures in this room, all the mistakes, all the mess-ups. Thank you that when you redeem us and use us still, you will get all the glory, that your grace will be made clear, and the empowering of your Holy Spirit will be made obvious. Do that in our midst. In Jesus' name.